0: Paul, Sarah, Ben, what year did you learn that emotion is not conveyed well through text and therefore you have to assume the best of people on the other side of a text conversation and not escalate when you're having an online text you know, argument of some sort?
1: Joel, I learned that on Thursday, December 17th, 2020, and I'll learn it again on December 18th, and then I'll learn it again on...
2: Hello everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Today is a very special day. We're celebrating episode 300 and we brought on Uh-oh. yay, a special guest, none other than Joel Spolsky, who recorded the Woo. first ever Stack Overflow podcast on which they discussed creating a company called Stack Overflow,
0: right? I think
2: that's how I remember it.
0: Uh yeah. <laughs> the early, I don't remember the ear- the earliest episodes. I went back and listened when I was starting. Yeah, I don't remember when we revealed Stack Overflow, but it was sort of, it was a bit in. I,
2: It's it's all. Listening to episode one, you're sort of on there discussing, you're saying, you know, this is a company, we're not quite ready to talk about it publicly fully, but here's some ideas. Yeah. And then you discussed how Windows would never be replaced. Desktop Windows would never be replaced by smartphones. Huh, we did? <laughs> it was 2008, not fully. Me, I don't believe
1: that. You know, history is still going to prove you right. It's just, just gotta, we just need a minute. We just need the pendulum to swing back to Windows, you know. Windows 11. Kind of Windows that. 11 is going to prove us all wrong.
0: Yeah. Uh, the only thing I remember about the original podcast is we had a couple of things. One is it was the cold intro. The idea was that this was a found artifact of a recording from our telephone system that somebody had found put up on the, the Internet. Oh, or wow. You didn't
3: know you were being recorded.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, like that was supposed to be the idea. Yeah, yeah. It was I mean, Jeff and I were like, here's what we'll do. We'll just we have to have our weekly meeting anyway let's just record it. And then let's just cut out the part at the beginning at the end where we talk about anything that we don't want people to hear. And then the middle part, just whatever is left. And I think the first episodes really sounded like a phone audio system because they, they went over the phone. Like we had no Skype hadn't yet been invented.
3: Wild. You were on smartphones though. Right.
0: Yeah. What? No. 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 We were on the um, whatever the uh, like. You know how they used to have office phone systems oh, yeah. that plugged into the oh yeah internet instead of plugging into a Pots line and and then there was an open source asterisk? Asterix. Asterix or something yeah and so we ran that at Fog Creek and it you know and then we wrote some code probably in well that's a good word <laughs> when Linux isn't bad enough <laughs> yeah we had to write some code to record. The conversations. And I think what we did is like the code listened for like a certain doop, doop, like kind of audio beeping, and then would just start a recording when you, when you press that on the phone. And then we would go find the, the WAV files and uh, try to make a podcast out of them.
3: We all used to have those in our office. I think when I first started to work at SEC overflow, I had one of those phones. And sometimes it rang. Yeah, and I was like, "What is what is happening? I don't know what,
1: what, 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 is, what,
3: what is, is this, 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 this device happen? is making noise. I don't know is what this to do." A fire
1: drill! Get out of the building now! I was born too late for this. Yeah. I, I can't. What? No way! You don't remember
0: phones in offices? Yeah. Well? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I do. I'm, I'm making fun of Sarah. No, you'd have the landline. I, I'm, for people who are listening, Asterix is like a deep cut from the early days of open source. Like that was like a big deal that you could do open source telephony.
0: Right, it could run your whole office phone system.
1: Because those systems were like tens of thousands of dollars, it was a total total scam. But I mean, yeah. it was it's called asterix because you know you'd hit that little button on your phone, that asterisks button, and then you could do things. And oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. And of course, the company would be like, "Hey, let's just do everything with our touchtone phones. Let's let's start what I mean. Were they even called podcasts when you started?
0: Yeah, podcasts were had, were invented long before. Well, sure. I mean, that's an RSS enclosure. Yeah, I need to clear up the record. It was definitely invented by Adam Curry. That's right. Um with Dave Weiner's help. If I don't know if that, I don't know if that's what Wikipedia says, but that is absolutely no question is that Adam Curry said to Dave Weiner I'm going to record things and I'm going to drop them in a place that you can listen to. And Dave helped him get it set up so he could drop it in a place with RSS. And that just became podcasting. And any other story about the origin of podcasting is, I am here to say, is completely false. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's true. I remember that. That was a big deal.
3: 2004, originally called audio blogging.
0: They called it podcasting for a while and then... Um, Apple made the podcast thing and tried to tell people they couldn't call them podcasts and some people thought that they would have to call them netcasts because Apple was trying to trademark <laughs> podcasts but that <laughs> never went anywhere so we're back to podcasts now yeah. and
3: so you guys recorded your meetings published them and then yep. when did you change to the like what made you change the more podcast format
0: I don't think I did I think probably some marketing people at stack over me, <laughs> were like come on we got to do this seriously
1: well, also, I remember going into the office, you'd built a very nice podcast studio by the end. That's like, a, but that's like a good new, uh, nerd motivation on the other side, right? Like, it's like, well, sure. now we have to have a beautiful studio. Talk a little bit there, Joel, like, you, you, you were building in public, right? Which I think is even still an unusual thing, even though it, I, yeah. I more people talk about it. How did that work? Like, you're going out into the world, you're, you're two people, you and, and Jeff are talking, and then people are giving you feedback and you're building software. Like, how did that all work?
0: play out? I think that the original motivation was just to get people to use Stack Overflow when it launched. And we sort of knew if you just launch a thing that needs people and nobody has ever heard of it, then, you know, what are you supposed to do? You could tweet about it or something and then 16 Mm -hmm. people go check it out. Like that was not, you really have to, just as much as you have to have a strategy for building all the code, you have to have a strategy for developing the audience that you're going to need because that in a network like Stack Overflow that depends on people is even more important, I think, than the code. And um, so once Jeff and I had figured out the basic parameters, we said, all right, what's where, where do we bring in the people? And we had the the rough idea, which is the Joel on software, you know, viewers or, or, or readers. And uh, Jeff had another blog as well called Coding Horror. So mm-hmm. we could bring in um, some of our regular blog readers onto Stack Overflow, but uh, we didn't know if that would be enough or if that would be really, we just knew that there had to be some other thing to to build up this audience of people. And we also knew that we had the, um, what do they call it? The restaurant, uh, the empty restaurant syndrome or whatever, which is, if you want to open a restaurant, you got to have all your friends come the first week. Because if anybody walks by and sees a newly opened restaurant, and they look in the window, and there's nobody in there, then they think there must be something wrong with that restaurant. So you got to have a lot of people at the very beginning. And for Stack Overflow, obviously, people have to be getting answers to their questions.
1: You were, you were also really solving a market problem. Like, I mean, there was the state of online yeah. advice was a disaster.
0: Yeah, no question we had a better mousetrap, but if we hadn't gotten the people in, it, it never Yeah, that's would true. Take it all. You can make great mousetraps all you want. you just, somebody has to come participate in your mousetrap. So that was the idea of the podcast. I'm like, we got to do a podcast because we got to get some of these people lined up and like twitching to get, get started on day one. And uh, that, that was sort of the idea. So we said, let's, why don't we just record the making of, and people will follow along. And
2: were you in there at the beginning asking and answering, like to try to solve that ghost town problem? Were you seeding stuff into the network?
0: No, I didn't. We didn't really have to. I mean, the original idea was that we wanted people to show up at the, in the, in the first minute and see something already there. And I had been running this little discussion group on Jolin Software, which um, old-timers will remember as .NET Questions, where it was a place where you could ask questions about .NET and get answers. And we sort of thought, hey, let's take that. That will sort of seed the content for Stack Overflow. And in fact, that was in the database for a while, while we were developing Stack Overflow, just to give us some kind of raw data that we could kind of manipulate with. But that was in discussion format; it wasn't in Q&A format, and that means that some of the answers mm. were not answers. So it was kind of the wrong uh, structure of data to actually have on Stack Overflow. And we sort of thought it would just be the seed, so that people saw something the first day they got there. And at the last minute, we decided this is garbage. I don't want anybody to see this um, non-Q&A format, where where some of the answers are. Comments basically, or, or uh, non answers essentially. And also, there's no voting going on on, on .NET questions. Um, so, at the last minute, we decided just to delete all those questions, which is why the early, early, early Stack Overflow questions do not have the number one, are not question number one because of the way identities work in uh, um, SQL Server. I won't go into that, but for people who know about that. <laughs> one
1: day you'll be able to auction that off, you know, that you can retrofit. And somebody can get that first question.
0: Is that even possible in SQL Server? I know it's been a few years; they might have added features, but there was a we're, time we're all managers. to
3: get Don't an identity. Us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that
1: was just I mean, I, you know, I I just ported all to Postgres; so it would be fine. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> Sarah, do you remember how you sort of found out about it? And joined? you were in the first five thousand. You were in the four thousands, right? As a user.
3: Yeah, I think I was a friend of the family. I had some friends that were working on uh, Tech Overflow, and they were really excited about it. They're talking about um, what they were building. And I knew Jeff, and of course, heard of Joel. And so they were like, there's going to be this new thing, and you can ask questions. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. That sounds really valuable. I always tell people it was like, it used to be online that it was like recipes, right? You know, like right now, if I want a recipe for cherry pie, I like Google cherry pie, and then I have to read like someone's story about their mom and how their mom loved cherry pie and like where they go to get their cherries and like what their strategy is about apple pie or cherry pie. And then I get to read their recipe like three pages later. That was basically the internet, the coding internet before Stack (laughs) Overflow. And so it was really beneficial. I just saw it like explode, it was so cool.
1: When did this thing tip? Like you were, you know, was it a month? Was it a year? Was it two years where you're like, oh, there it goes,
0: wow. Yeah, no, it tipped instantly. Yeah, I mean, it tipped in, in minutes. I, I uh, As soon as Jeff told me that I could log on and check it out, I planned to log on and ask the most recent programming problem I had had, which was something about like using a regular expression to find a URL when the, when the URL might be at the end of a sentence, and so the URL has a period after it. So that was my uh, question that I was going to ask. And actually, I literally um, went, started typing the question, and by the time I typed the title, um, Stack Overflow had identified uh, somebody had already asked that question. Wow, cool. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess I don't have to ask the question. I looked at it and it already had, I'm going to guess, four answers already that people had submitted. And there had been a lot of voting. And the number one question had already received, the, the best answer had actually received the most votes and it had already come to the top. So I don't know, it was probably on the first day or two, like it did take me a minute because I was out of internet range the minute it launched. But uh, yeah, it tipped right away. Pretty much everybody was getting answers kind of instantaneously. And it went from, we had Google Analytics set up all the way from the beginning. And I think the first day was 30,000 unique users or something. And then the next day was like 90,000. And and then it just sort of went up very, very quickly.
1: Did you have a sense at that moment where you're like, ah, well, that's the next few years of my life.
0: (laughs) I mean, I definitely, the sense that I had was that we would definitely change the way all programmers worked, which was a weird kind of grandiose sense. But I was really thinking about how, you know, a programmer has an editor and they have a compiler, and now they're going to have Stack Overflow, you know, like every programmer. There are programmers that don't have, I don't know, continuous integration, but there are no programmers that don't have editors, and there are no programmers that don't have compilers, (laughs) and there are no programmers that don't use libraries, no programmers that don't, you know, use a keyboard. And there's a lot of stuff out there that there are programmers that don't use. There are programmers without frameworks and there are programmers without, you know, drag and drop uh, GUI coding and stuff. But it suddenly occurred to me, there's not going to be any programmers without Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about COBOL programmers, but uh, everybody else. (laughs) One thing I think is really neat is
3: that Stack Overflow gets a lot more traffic than all the coders in the world, right? Like there's like, there's 23 million coders in the world And we see a lot more than that on the site. So it's very cool. I always, it doesn't have to be just professional developers. It's a lot of hobbyists and professional developers with like four machines.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's just count, I don't know how we really count programmers. Uh, There's a lot of non-professional programmers that do do programming and nonetheless, And that's, um, that's sort of what's important, you know, whether it's makers or honestly, just people that for their professional reasons need to do some coding, but it's not even close to what they're supposed to be doing at their job.
1: No, but you think about Excel or, I mean, you know, you could make yeah. the argument that everybody who creates an Airtable database is a programmer.
0: Like it's just, once you go, no, write, I don't even need to do that. There's a lot of people who, yeah. whose job is like, uh, you know, nuclear physicist or whatever, and they're just in Python all day long, you
1: know? Oh yeah. Oh, or they write the worst Fortran imaginable, right? But no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they need, they need a place to hack it out as well. Right? Like that, that was always a, the tags
0: kind of helped segment out that. Were yeah. the tags there from the beginning? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was an important okay. part of it. That was to avoid the whole, like, oh, let's make a big hierarchy, like in Usenet. And then in Usenet, when you made a hierarchy,
1: yeah,
0: you got cross-posting and cross- cross-posting was bad.
1: Boy, was it? It was so bad. <laughs> yeah. Cause you would see mess. the same thing
0: twice. Like, yeah, like I'm interested in C and I'm interested in windows. It doesn't mean I want to see somebody's windows programming question and C twice. I don't need to, that's bad, but they would try to post it in both places to get the most answers. So anyway, let's stop talking about the past. I'm gonna I'm gonna derail this whole conversation now. Yeah. Let's talk about the future a little bit. Mm. Go for it. Okay. So, what do you guys think is going to happen by 2025? I think this My is 25. the year. Of, That's fascinating. H- here's what I'm interested in, just like intellectually, and it's not really what I'm working on. What I'm working on uh, is like two things, which many of you will find very boring. One of them is getting uh, individually addressable LED lights to light up in, in pretty patterns, and this is sort of it's a solved problem and it's not that interesting, but it's fun to me. But l- let's go to the future. I think that. The lesson of Stack Overflow, I have to pick one lesson of Stack Overflow if like, there's really only one thing that people should learn from Stack Overflow. It would be that you have to build the software in a way that kind of forces people to behave in a way that has the right social outcomes. It, it, and however you build the software, whatever features you put in there, they're going to use it for their own purposes. And what their purposes are is probably driven by economics honestly because you know commerce is going to drive out everything else so what i'm thinking about is like what are the biggest problem areas right now in online social networking let's call it and there's kind of a bunch of problem areas and i'm trying to figure out ways that you could build architectures that made it impossible to ever have those hmm. problems again
3: i think the way the way you build that architecture it like also has to do with the humans building the architecture because one thing right now where I'm writing uh, this whole DNI module for our moderators right now, and the more I read, the more it's been fascinating to me just talking about different, I just learning about different cultures and their customs and things like that. And I just think about like, if I was, if I was building something for the entire world, how would, I, how would I do that? How would I think about all these things? So thinking about those use cases, yeah. I think like all the different people that are using your platform, building it, I think that's really helpful. As far as the architecture, I think that's a really tough problem, and I don't think anyone's solved that yet. There's a bunch of people working on it right now.
0: I'm going to float an idea here. It's going to take me a, a minute or two, I'm going to, and and again, like this is not an idea that is very well developed. I don't want to say like, <laughs> oh, I made a product based on this. Everybody should check this out. I just want to sort of float it because maybe somebody will hear it and they'll riff on it and they'll make a product and they'll solve solve the world's problems. <laughs> and, and so I'll, here, I'm going to list a couple of hypotheses, and then I'm going to actually like propose an example of an architecture that I think. Would be kind of a way to to deal with this. So my first hypothesis is that capitalism, while wonderful and so forth, capitalism um, will crowd out non-capitalism. So markets crowd out uh, regular human interaction. And by crowding out, I just mean like the minute you let it in, it will sort of push out the, the natural human interaction. And it's fairly and, um,
3: anti-human. Like it's not <laughs> it's not like it's not good for humans, but it doesn't optimize for humans.
0: No, people optimize the market, yeah. not the the sort not of social for the humans, aspects. Yeah yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one—I'll give you—and I have a bunch of examples of you know capitalism crowding out. But the most common one is, hey, Stack Overflow is a gift economy where you answer a question as a gift. And if you asked any of the people like John Skeet, if you said, John, you are really smart. I need you to help me with a C plus plus programming problem. I will pay you two hundred and fifty dollars to help me for ten minutes. He would just say no, and he would say no because he doesn't have time. And I guess. With John Skeet, I think if you probably got it up to about $5,000 and a donation to something that he loved, I think he might help you with your problem. But he will do for free what he will not do for hundreds of dollars. And that is true Mm -hmm. of literally, I don't know, half a million people on Stack Overflow every month that are in that exact position. So one thing Jeff Atwin and I always spoke about very clearly is there cannot possibly be any money involved on Stack Overflow. They can't, this can't just turn into a thing where you pay $5 and you get faster service or something, because we knew that that would crowd out the volunteer and the gift aspect of Stack Overflow. So that's example number one. But let's go with example number two. This is my favorite one is blogging. There was a golden time, Paul, yeah, <laughs> when we could write was blogs. There. <laughs> you could write blogs and Google would be like, whoa, blogs, this is authentic, real content written by actual people who have actually evaluated things and and they shall be prioritized. And just linking to something from a real blog, which was all the blogs were real blogs, would give it um, power in Google. What made that go away is basically, let's call it the HubSpots of the world, which is all of a sudden a bunch of teenagers were hired to write three blog posts a day in order to generate 300 blog posts a day for like Coleman's mustard. Because what happened is, is as soon as there was an economic incentive, there was sort of commerce got in there, it crowded out. And today. I never see blogs in search results for even the most specific things. There's definitely been this crowding out of like the real and the genuine and the free and the volunteer. It's gotten crowded out by commerce. And I'm gonna take a third example, which is uh, a fun one, which is about Burning Man where you're not allowed to sell things. And it's in some ways like a music festival where you might be walking around and people are selling t-shirts and whatnot. But people are not uh, permitted to sell things. And sort of a magical thing happens at Burning Man, which is that when somebody approaches you to try to talk to you, they are not trying to sell you anything or get your signature on anything or steal from you in any way. They're actually just there uh, to talk to you, to actually have a real human conversation. And the end result is that there's this weird feeling of walking around for a, a week in a place where everybody's friendly. You're just like at a family reunion, almost. There's no, if if somebody comes up to you and starts speaking, you don't immediately try to shut them down and get away as you do in Times Square. (laughs) And so the very fact that commerce has been prohibited creates a zone where the regular human thing uh, of somebody comes up to talk to me and I talk to them, and then we have a regular human conversation that isn't caused by one person trying to get something out of somebody else. um, The sort of magical zone is there thereby created. There's my three um, simple examples of 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 the commerce. Now, what makes commerce possible? And I don't think there's anything wrong with commerce or capitalism. I'm not trying to. This is supposed to be a screed Mm -hmm. of like, therefore we must go back to central planning. Like, I don't. To me, capitalism is not like an ism. Like, oh, I believe in capitalism. It's more like just a description of how um, the economics works. It's just kind of that's that's how economics happens. You know, you can you can try to avoid it if you want, but. The question is like, how do you kind of recreate those zones? And those zones are like the family picnic, right? The extended family, we all get together for a picnic. There is no buying and selling at the family picnic. You know, just because uncle, whatever, brought the pina coladas doesn't mean that, that that he's now allowed to sell them to the members of his family. What about reputation? I mean, reputation and social capital are some of the things that
2: definitely motivate people on Stack Overflow, right? Like Not necessarily the yeah. commerce of it, but being known in the community and being able to say like, you know... I help yeah. X many people. That's one of those things
0: that- That's nice. I think there's, there's definitely some of, some of that there. And and Stack Overflow has has maintained itself successfully. As has actually Wikipedia, I would say, have both somehow managed to maintain themselves as decommodified zones where there hasn't been. And, and I think on Stack Overflow, we lucked out because there's almost no economic incentive. There's almost not enough things that you might want to sell in Stack Overflow. But the real thing about Stack Overflow that really makes this work is that there's no single page that gets enough page views That somebody would want to hack that page Mm -hmm. you would kind of have to hack all conversation like it's 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 too hard so now when i think about that with social networks i realized that the easiest thing you could hack about social networks that would make quote-unquote commerce impossible or spammers or even trolls is um popularity and so what would be the uh, algorithm for a social network where it was impossible to become popular, right? It's weird, but just imagine that. So imagine, for example, it's just like one one possible outcome. The the outcome is like, I cannot friend somebody on my my new social network that I just created unless we bump phones. It it could be bump or it could be um, like the thing that Apple does, I don't know what it's called, where there's like a little star field and then the one camera scans the other star Mm -hmm. field and they do a key exchange essentially. So it's a key exchange. Key exchange and then the software is designed in such a way that the key exchange must be done in person when when you're physically uh, with with a person. And then there could be some other limitations. So you can't just, you know, if you're a superstar celebrity, you can't just have your assistant stand outside of the the gates of the, of the concert hall and just sign everybody up. But actually you can really only use this to actually this actual friends you actually know. And maybe. So
3: I have, I have three, I have three contacts on the social
0: network. Exact, uh, well, no, this is, this is a post pandemic social network. It's gotta <laughs> be like, we gotta go actually see, see each other. So what that means is that there's no way to get a lot of followers. It just becomes impossible to get a lot of followers and because there's not a lot of followers, there's no reason for brands to participate in this social network. And there's no reason for anybody to try to sell anything, honestly, because they're just not going to sell enough of it. And so all of that selling behavior is now impossible and goes away. And that includes political selling, by the way. Which means by political selling, I mean just ranting and raving about your stupid politics, your incredibly smart politics, or your incredibly uh, whatever. But you know, virtue signaling or whatever you want to call it, all that kind of stuff. This isn't a good place to do that. You're going to have to go do that somewhere else because you're you're maximizing your audience you know, he's in the tens <laughs> or, you know, maybe a hundred, but they're all your close friends. There's no, there's no forwarding, there's no following, there's no celebrities. So I'm, I'm throwing that out as just an idea for people to think about, which is, you know, there are ways with software that we could create new rules and those rules, you know, they would have a bunch of positive and negative side effects, but they can be used to create the kind of social network we, we, we might want.
1: All right, let me throw that back at you though because it's like why even conceive of that? It feels like the form of the social network has gotten wedged in everybody's brain, but it's like I'd rather just have a group chat, right? Like I mean all that work and all that labor, why centralize anything? To me, I'm just increasingly like let's just give up and let the cloud providers offer, you know, like build little easy Slack-alikes or DM-alikes where you can set up a little community with your friends. Yeah. The thing I miss the most is light piracy? I like light like, hey, check out this thing, you know as as opposed to just endless embeds in a stream, like just like a little a little community knowledge base, the shared Dropbox folder, something like that. It feels like an app like that would just get huge lock-ins with clusters of clusters of people, and it doesn't even need a hub. It doesn't need a central right, right. place, yeah. I mean,
2: the lesson of the pandemic for me has been that I get a lot more value out of those actually personal. Text chains that I'm on with friends and family than I do out of doom scrolling my way through the social networks, and I listened to yeah. that uh, tech ethicist Tristan Harris talking about the social dilemma, and I think what he was saying that kind of relates back to what Joel is. We sort of need a, a wake up call, kind of like there was an ecological movement to say like it's clear this isn't healthy for us. What are some things we could do to like motivate people to act in a different way or gravitate towards you know these alternatives.
1: My has been running the scenario like, what do the next five years look like? You know, to to Joel's prompt, right? So, a big social comes under increasing regulatory pressure, and kind of like, mm-hmm. who the hell knows what happens? Mm. But I think it just gets a little more boring, probably in a good way. But yeah, I just sort of feel like lots of little decentralized apps is where, because it always just sort of swings the other way. You know, your friend will set up your your room, and then you'll go hang out there.
0: Mm. What I mean, the internet has always been. The story of the Internet, going back to like the first story that was written about it in USA Today in 1989 or whatever it was, was you can have a friend in Pakistan who is also interested in making LED chaser circuits Mm -hmm. using, you know, uh, 555 ICs. And you're like, oh yeah, that's really cool because I certainly am not going to find one of those in my community. And so the idea that you would find these people that shared interests all over the world, and then you could then communicate them, that was definitely what everybody has been working on now for thirty years. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. And that is the solved problem, right? And the trouble is that that problem leads to it's got its problems in some places. A lot of times there are very disruptive people on the groups, and it's hard to get rid of them. Maybe because they have the knowledge, maybe because you don't, the the group is not really set up to censor itself, but there's all kinds of ways that individuals can kind of screw up one of those groups if you just sort of let them in. And the other thing is honestly, like a lot of the, there's definitely been a lot of bad things that have happened on the internet because we have allowed people to find each other. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like
3: should we, should we be letting that happen? Yeah. I think about this a lot when I'm doom scrolling. It's like, is man supposed to have a place where they can yell into (laughs) a void and millions of people can see it? Like, is that supposed to exist? Uh,
1: human right. d- human discovery is such a chore too now, right? Like, it's all just, it used to be very joyful. That is the thing that is sort of gone out of it. It's like you'd find that person in Pakistan and you'd be, it would, it would actually, it would change like five or six things about the way you saw the world. You'd be like, oh right. my God. And then then you'd find out after a while that they had some fundamental difference in their belief system than you did. And that would force you to reevaluate all kinds of stuff. And so it was an actual rich kind of human interaction. And the we're back to the market. The market forces are utterly against that. They just they amplify whatever the strongest opinion is. And they kind of just like, you know, right. they you just you're just blown back from your phone <laughs> yeah. as you read. And you're like, oh, I thought that person was really good at metadata, but it actually, you know, it, it turns out that they they are like really into serial killers. I, I kind of don't want that in my life right now.
0: Yeah. When I think about what, what flipped there, it's, Paul, I think the people we were discovering originally, we were finding them through their blogs and their GeoCities pages, where they were presenting themselves as a human being. And later you discovered, you shared an interest. Um, when you now find somebody through a, a Facebook group, you know, on some narrow topic or a, you know, a discourse or a Slack or something, you kind of just see their name. You don't know that much about them. And in fact, when I'm reading the comments, whatever that means, it's just anonymous. It's completely anonymous. You see no faces. You see, I mean, you might see a tiny avatar of a face, but that's usually fake anyway. And you see a bunch of names that are meaningless to you and you know absolutely nothing about who these people are that are just ranting and talking and talking and talking. So that's a weird kind of wrong thing. And that, It, sounds, yeah, like, so it sounds
3: like we're talking about bringing back forums. Like it sounds like we should all have our own personal website with a forum on it.
0: And mm. no one's popular on a forum. A, a little bit. I mean, there were definitely, it took a long time in forums to actually get to know the key people. And the trouble is that the anonymous people had just as much voice As the key people. So one thing that was nice about their very, very early Instagram is that it was just hooked up to your camera and it didn't actually have the ability. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it had the ability to take a photo you had already taken and post it like just because you had it in your
1: camera. Yeah, it was
0: it was purely like in the moment. Mm. Yeah. Who pays for
3: the servers? Are we all sending our three dollars a month? Because if there's no, No, I think um, so.
0: My theory is it doesn't cost anything to host this. The software is open source, and the hosting is just it's static pages on the internet that are you know encrypted with with and and there's a there's a public key architecture so that only people that you have met in person and exchanged keys with can read your things. But other than that, it's a a little bit of static hosting, and you, you you either host it yourself or you just like point to I don't know Cloudflare or somebody that's willing to host static assets for.
1: It can be right. like anything. It's the free tier for you and up to 10 friends. And then if you want to build your community, like let's say you're running a conference or it's academic and that you could have that tier.
3: This sounds a lot like Mighty Bell. Have you been on Mighty Bell? No. no. Uh, Gina Bianchini has a company called Mighty Bell. Mighty Networks, it's called now. Kind of hits all the points you're talking about. Except yes, for... yes, yes.
0: That's the, That was sort of the follow-up of uh, Ning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the way it works with blogs you know, RSS aside, not a lot of people had RSS readers. Most people had bookmarks, and they had nine bookmarks that they visited every day of, like, I'm going to go to Scripting News, and I'm going to go to John Software, and I'm going to go to Kotki, and I'm going to go to uh, Ben and Mina Trot, and I'm going to go to that. So, like I'm trying to remember why, why I had in my list that I just went to see if they wrote anything, something every day. So the, the idea that there you can't have a system where each group needs to be a destination, or you'll only get the people that are very, very dedicated to that group.
1: Back to the Instagram point, that incentivized incredibly easy creation, right? Like there is an element of that. Like I wouldn't mind a daily check-in with my family or my friends, where they just send me one picture, and yeah. everybody puts about thirty seconds of effort into that.
0: So yeah, that's what I—that's th- where I think the, the a delightful thing can happen, where you actually are not permitted to have sort of anonymous followers. There's no follow. That stuff sort of kind of can be crowded out. Through two things. One is like it has to be a photograph that you take with your camera. It can't be like a cut and paste or it can't be somebody else's meme that you're like, everybody put this meme up now. You know, and secondly, it's just your audience is so small. It's just your friends and family. See,
1: the foundational challenge here is that so I think group chats will always keep going, right? But like the motivation is very tricky.
0: And I think developers in
1: particular, like there's a sense that people are creative, but so many humans, the other five, six billion feel much more passive. And if how do you get them motivated to actually make and do when they're literally every other signal is just sit here and watch and give it a thumbs up and yeah. occasionally drop, you know, that that's the big challenge because otherwise you can't get that velocity.
0: Yeah, like there may be a situation where the world just consists of 10% uh, sort of producers of content and 90% passive uh, spectators.
1: Well, I mean, Stack is a great example. That can be really, really productive. It's incredibly productive. But I'm sure, you know, the the audience to contributor ratio at Stack is is like that. Like a tiny percentage, write and post, and and the rest are, are there to read.
0: I sort of wonder, but if those people are, you know, if grandma has essentially her immediate family and that nice old lady down the street and her seven friends, will she take a picture of her pie that she just took? Sure. Like it doesn't have to compete with... There isn't a sense of like, oh, I'm competing against all this celebrity content with my picture of a pie. I mean, even on the text chains, that's the thing. Like, it is
2: nice. People send heartfelt stuff. We have real conversations. But if the person who sends the funny meme gets the most likes on, you know, the little text chain in Apple's, closed off. Humans universe. are yeah.
1: humans. We're always going to be looking to expand our territory and influence. And they will you know, that is just how it goes. Like, who's got the funny, it, you'll be driving in a car and the person who says the funniest thing kind of wins the car <laughs> ride. Like it is, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 there's an element of that just in who we are. Right. So you can't, the thing is, is like when it gets gamified and when you just have this endless, like what's happened is the worst thing always wins. And, boy, is that tiring because you just I just don't even look at Facebook anymore. I'm still on Twitter because it but it, it just makes me feel like garbage, but it's just it's my garbage. there's like an entropy
3: I, you know. to those groups, too, right? Like I've I signed up for this random Facebook. I bought like these fake lashes ones that I never used. But like, there was instructions in the Facebook group. So I like joined. And now, like, there are constant political wars in the Lash Facebook group and the Big <laughs> Glasses Facebook group of people freaking out constantly.
0: That's the thing I'm most disappointed about humans. I kind of thought by now the whole planet would understand that that person on yeah. Twitter is trolling you. Don't feed the trolls.
3: Yeah, no, it's really tough. I think because you just get ba- one day you have that day where, like, you know, you have trolls coming at you all the time. And then one day they say something that is just like, oh, well, I've, you're so wrong. and I'm about to tell you. <laughs> And then that's your next three hours.
1: It's human nature to at least stand up for yourself and what you believe in. And-
0: I, this is something that's really, really fun to do if you want to. Is um, and and it's sometimes tricky to do, but try to find websites that people made for their groups and organizations they're older. They're usually from a while ago. Like there's a couple of Squarespace and WordPresses, but mostly, you know, old technology. So when you find this thing, like somebody's got a, like a baseball league or whatever, and you found their website, a lot of times it's like optimized so that it fits in 640 by 480. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. got like, mm-hmm. it's just really, really old technology and it's barely even displaying anymore. But, but just like every word there is like somebody's kind of heartfelt, like, Oh, I'm getting to know them. Let's each
2: say maybe one or two things we're excited about in 2021 that could be related to technology or science or whatever it may be. What do you think? I'm going to get a vaccine,
0: big old vaccine. Yeah. yeah. And then my life is yeah. yeah.
1: back
2: to
3: normal. I'm excited for hugs. Not really. I don't even really like hugs, but
1: I miss them. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, I don't think of you as like no, a hugger. No, I don't hugger,
3: really, but, but you, you know, know somehow yeah. I
0: miss so. And I don't even like bars, but I'm going to go to so many bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like travel, but I'm going everywhere. I don't like clubs, but I'm going to be in the clubs. I, that is
1: true. I like. I just miss like in person small conversations where you were figuring things out, whether it was like a drink or whether it was. So vaccines are. Right. What I'm going to go to a crowded
2: for. concert and bump into strangers.
0: Maybe I'll ride the subway during rush hour just for the hell of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, like God. sometimes when you go to a bar and you the bar is so crowded that you literally just have to frottage of twenty three strangers <laughs> to get a drink. And it's like, you know what? Like, that's what we're all here for. So let's do there's it. This, I miss it. There's
3: this guy on TikTok who's like, who we found who's like a 17 year old New Jersey DJ. And like, wherever he's playing, I'm going. That's, that's what I'm excited about. Just like, whatever. Okay. He's so Perfect. hyped. He's throwing napkins. I'm really Jersey happy. Jersey
2: Shore, all the way. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I'm actually, the other thing I was going to say was I'm interested to see what comes out of all the science that went into the vaccine. Cause it was kind of like this space race moment where like the whole world, poured so much energy into something and this new technique, which had actually been sort of like derided for decades, this RNA technique came to the rescue. So I'm interested to see maybe the knock-on effects for other things there could be, could be pretty interesting.
1: Hey, congratulations <laughs> to mRNA based technologies, which I don't <laughs> understand at all. Good job. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. And
2: Joe, you said you, you didn't want to shout out hash. You don't want to talk about it at all. You're not interested in giving people.
0: Everybody should check out. I mean, if they're curious about what cool things are going on in the world, everybody should check out hash.ai. That's the, that's the URL.ai as a TLD now, hash.ai, which is a way to build a simulation. Um, it's all through your browser. It's very easy. I mean, it's it takes some programming to build the simulation, but you may not really know how to do, like if you don't know how to study epidemics, but you're still trying to figure out what's happening during the uh, COVID crisis, and you certainly know how your agents b- behave, you can build that stuff um, by building little simple models in JavaScript. And hash just sort of combines them all, takes a simulation, runs it. Um, Through a blender and shows you uh, what the outcome will be.
1: Finally, figure out how that zombie invasion is going to go. All
2: right, great. Well, thanks everybody for coming on episode 300. Uh, It's been a blast. I can't believe we made it all the way here. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper and shoot us an email podcast at stackoverflow.com.
3: And I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub
1: i'm paul ford friend of stack overflow check out my company Postlight. joel you want to sign off
2: and let people know who you are and where they can find you if you want to be found oh hi i'm i'm joel
0: i'm uh, the uh founder of this podcast <laughs> you can find me you can find me in real life only you have to find the flesh human being walking around all right and bump phones